0: I saw a meme this week that defined cross as Christ removes our sin and shame. I like that little acrostic there. Christ removes our sin and shame. I need that. I need to remember that. But I have an ongoing problem with the shame part of it. I understand forgiveness. I understand redemption. I understand salvation. It's the shame thing that that causes me pause, pause. Brene Brown, author and social worker, writes, There's a profound difference between shame and guilt. I believe, she says, that guilt is adaptive and helpful. It's holding something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling that psychological discomfort. I feel guilty for doing something wrong. They did an experiment on a college campus involving cheating. And what they found out was that people may allow themselves to do something wrong like to cheat but not if it involves identifying themselves as cheaters. You have to point the finger and say, I'm a cheater. Most people will say, you know, that causes me some psychological guilt. That causes me to, to put my values up and say, you know, I, I'm doing something wrong. And most folks, therefore, if they have a good moral center, will, will, with, they will avoid the label by refusing the choice. Guilt is a motivator. It keeps us from doing some things that are wrong, right? Shame is another matter. Psalmists consider shame public humiliation often before enemies as we read in Psalm 25 verses 4 and 5. We'll read over there and it says, Make me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, Remember. Your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. We struggle with that idea that we don't want to be known for our sins. Jesus predicted in Luke 18 and verse 32 that he would be treated with shame before he endured the cross, that public humiliation. When connected to what Jesus did for us upon the cross, we come to a sense that There was an atonement for our guilt. We knew we were wrong and Jesus paid the price for that. And the tables then of shame were then turned upon those who would hold that sin up and say, you don't deserve God. You don't deserve to be treated in a righteous way. You don't deserve to be called a child of God because you are the label, whatever it is, cheater, sinner, however you want to do that. But God turns the tables on people, on those people. Because He takes our guilt away. He also takes away our shame. Colossians 2 verses 13 through 15. The Apostle Paul says... And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Him... Having forgiven us all our trespasses... By canceling the record of debt... That stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross... He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. I rejoice in that. I wouldn't be here this morning if I didn't. Thank you, God, for triumphing over the guilt that I I earned because of what I've done. Thank you for triumphing over that But I still feel, personally, even though others might hold me up to shame and God has triumphed over that and forgiven me the sin because I've come and put my sins in His hands, I still feel humiliation that I did something that God knows was wrong. Mortification, chagrin, embarrassment the indignity, the abashment of my sin. Even though I know I've been forgiven, and I love the way Brown puts it, she captures it this way by saying, I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection what you do in the middle of the night when you wake up and you know you're a christian because you have believed and repented confessed and been baptized and you've prayed that night that god forgive you of the sins of the day and you wake up and you still feel the shame of it in our easy to say hard to do series i want as most of us do, the assurance of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. For John writes, And now little children abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. The problem really is, I found in an old sermon from the 50s, it read something like this at one point, When God in His infinite goodness and mercy deals with my sin and removes it, When a man has forgiven his sin, he finds it so hard to get rid of the memory of it. In a sense, it may be said that a man never forgives himself. There is always, therefore, the danger that a man will transfer his own feeling to God and persuade himself that though God may forgive, God never really forgets. In order to hold responsible for the sin that was committed. The psalmist pleads in 25 and verse 7 that God can and does and will remember our sins no more. And this voluntary divine forgetfulness is a wonderful truth. In fact, it's repeated in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, where Jeremiah's prophecy is repeated. And God says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I want to put that into perspective this morning for you. Using three word pictures of what God does when he deals with our sin and our shame. And in in doing so, I'd like for us to leave here today and let our souls take a sigh of relief. Once I understand what God has done with my sin, as far as he is concerned, then maybe the shame that I'm carrying, I can put in the same place that God does. First, Psalm 103 verse 12. He puts my sin and shame from me at a distance as far as east is from west. Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. The word for east there is the Hebrew word kadim. The temple in Jerusalem was built according to the kadim or the east. It had to face the east where the sun would rise. The altar of the sacrifice was at its easternmost end. The Holy of Holies where God would meet with the high priest on the day of atonement was at the western end of the temple. Everything else was in between. Everything that took place between sacrifice and redemption and atonement happened on an east-west continuum. Most importantly, on the holiest day of the year, on the day of atonement, the sins for Israel were atoned for by the offering of the sacrifice and the blood taken from that sacrifice from the east to the west And then sprinkled upon the Holy of Holies at the Ark of the Covenant. Why from east to west? Well, there are two poles, north and south. If God only removed our our sins from as far as north is from the south, it would mean there is limited limited remembrance. In other words, there's just a certain point and God's going to remember it after that because there's a north pole and a south pole. East and west have no poles. Therefore, they never end. East and West are infinitely opposite each other. They go on forever. In fact, that Hebrew word kadim means east, but it also means everlasting. So the word picture is that God has absolutely and completely separated us from our past sins and accepted the atonement of the Lamb of God presented by the high priest, his son, Jesus Christ, as we read in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, if you'll join me there. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. All of our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we have had to live within the presence of our sin. It was so much a part of us that we never were at any distance from our self-loathing, knowing who we are and what we've done and what it had caused other people around us and eventually what it meant to God. Since the power of sin is kept alive by its proximity of guilt and shame, we could not remove ourselves from the self that we had become. We bore our shame. We were the label, if you will. We were the poster child Of disappointment to others. Failure on our own behalf. We were the poster child. The label brand of the things. That mean that we are sin. We are that intensely painful feeling. Or experience of believing. That we were flawed. Unworthy of love and belonging. Something we had experienced. Done or failed to do. Made us unworthy of that connection others and to God and at some point if we were very honest we knew that that doomed us to hell but God's act of forgiveness in Jesus Christ puts so great a distance between who we were and what we become in Jesus that the gap is infinite God moved from east to west He traveled the distance for us, if you will. If they are so far away that there is no way to measure how far he has removed us from them. Then we are free to live without them. If you had all eternity, you could never find your sins again. As far as the east is from the west. The other word in that verse in Psalm 103. The other word I want to look at this morning. is not only the word east, but the word. Removed, or raha. Basically it means to be far, be distant, be removed. It appears more than 50 times in the Old Testament. Its primary meaning is to indicate a distance between someone or something, often in an ethical connotation where God says, I want you to remove yourself from idols, or I want you to remove yourself from evil people around you. In this verse, the word is actually used twice. So that Psalm 103 verse 12 could be, Translated as, as far as the east is from the west, that far God has put between us and our transgressions. That's hard for us to comprehend because we have memory. Over time, memory may fade, but it never quite disappears. And then we encounter those reminders, those skeletons in the closet, those things that jump up at us in our thoughts, in the middle of the night, our view of sins is removed, is merely temporary, we think. In our heads, sometimes in our hearts, we may know that God no longer views them, but we do. We remember. And we want and we long and desire a day when the reality of forgetfulness will mean utterly forgotten, never to come to mind again. And that day, The real results of forgiveness will be ours. But what do you and I do in the meantime? Well, in the meanwhile, we must act on the basis of the promise. God has removed our sin as far as east from west. And I think Brother Lawrence did it this way in his little book, The Power of the Practice of the Presence of God. He says, confess immediately. Go on with living in the presence of God. And live with the promise. One of the greatest ploys of the devil. Is to convince us that we are still guilty. Because we remember what we did. And God says. I have removed it. The second word picture. Is in Isaiah 38 and verse 17. If you have your Bible. In Isaiah 38 and verse 17. It says. For thou hast cast all my sins behind your back. The phrase is. Shall I give. Or behind the back. Literally. Putting them. Out of mind, as trodden upon. We would understand it as um, out of sight, out of mind. Casting behind the back implies resolute purpose. It is as if God had thoroughly made up his mind that he would never look upon them again. He had done with them forever. As the sun sets on another day, that time is done. Past, gone. It's over. The next time you see the horizon, as you watch a sunset, remember that our sins in God's hands are like the setting sun. That God pushes all your sins right over the edge. They are forever out of His sight. I think of Lot's wife in Genesis 19 and verse 26. You remember Lot's wife. But it says, But Lot's wife behind, behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Looking back destroyed her. And looking back on our sin will destroy us too. Those painful feelings, those experiences, believing that we are flawed, that we are therefore unworthy of love and belonging, that something happened to us and we've done or failed or been made unworthy of a connection. Looking back paralyzes our escape from the very thing that we're being saved from. And that is God's intervention. Looking back will destroy you. I want you to think of it as plowing in a field. In Luke chapter 9 verse 62. Jesus said to him. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit or is useful for the kingdom of God. The devil attempts to get you to provide a map for your sins to return. To waste your time as Randy Travis sings. Digging up bones consuming things or exhuming things that are better left alone. But even he, the devil, can't bring them back without your permission. Don't give him that foothold in your life. When you look behind, they are gone. Because God put them behind his back. Put them behind yours. Thirdly, he throws my sin into the depths of the sea. Micah 7 verse 19. Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I go back to Jonah chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. Where Jonah prays and he says. The waters closed in over me to take my life. This is after they threw him overboard. The deep surrounded me. Weeds weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land. Whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God. Now. Why was Jonah in that predicament? Why is he at the bottom of the sea? Why is he feeling like we do sometimes that we have jumped overboard and we are, we are drowning in this? Well, Jonah had disobeyed God. And he'd run away from him. He ended up at the bottom of the sea in the belly of that big fish. I want you to think of your situation, our situation, anyone's situation who's dealing with their shame and guilt Think of it as Jonah or Jesus. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Jesus answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah went overboard. He went overboard as punishment for his sins, and he spent three days, three nights in the fish's belly. Jesus went to the grave for three days and three nights for our sins. Jonah repented, and God rescued him. Jesus was resurrected from the dead by God to bring salvation to all of us that our sin has been atoned for, that death no longer conquers us, that we live a life that is free from sin and free from fear. God's gracious dealings with our sins depend on our right dealings with those sins. We need to stop running from God. When you bear your shame, you think you're in control. If I can be good enough, maybe people won't think of me as the put the label on, wear the sign, whatever it is you do. If I can just be good enough, if I can just show people that I'm making it in this world, if I can just turn it around, people won't think of me that way anymore. Let me tell you a little secret. The world will never let you off the hook. People will never stop looking at you as anything else. And the reason they do that is because misery loves company. Now, you want to show change? You want to be released from that? You need to stop running from God. He's the one who actually deals with sin. Not those people out there. Not those people who keep holding the sign up and saying, Hey, you're still a sinner. What you want is a God who says, I'm going to take that sin and I'm going to put it behind my back. I'm going to separate it east from west and I'm going to put it in the bottom of the sea. And you can stand there and say, think of me what you want. But I stand here redeemed. And I can move on. We need to let God deal with our sin. We need to put our faith in God. We need to repent of our sins, yes. We need to leave our sins, yes. We need to to let God Wash away our sins in our baptism. And and I love the water analogy there. Because Jonah was in the depths of the sea. And the the Micah 7 says that God will put our sins in the depths of the sea. It's that wonderful word picture. When we are baptized and God washes away our sin. He takes those sins in the waters of, of redemption. And he drops them to the bottom of the sea. The roots of the mountains. We will see them no more. The judgment of God is complete and fierce. When we disobey. Do not discount that. His grace is deep and loving. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing brings us a sense of hopelessness. Irretrievable loss. Like dropping a thing. Or prophet, Or ourselves. Into the untold depths. Of the ocean. Jonah had troubles. We have troubles. If we bring our sins to God, we are promised those sins, not us. Those sins are dropped into the bottom of the sea and we shall never see them anymore. Yes, you are flawed and unworthy of love and belonging, but God loves us With an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. That love transforms us. It gives us hope. Yes, there are things we've experienced. Things we've done. Things we fail failed to do. That make us unworthy of a connection with God and with others. But in Christ, you are God's child. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 verses 5 through 7. You are God's child. And He loves you like He loves Jesus as His child. Notice what happens. Chapter 4 starting in verse 5. So that He might redeem those who are under the law. So that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are God's child, you are Jesus' brother, sister. You are the family of God, His household. And you are redeemed from the sins that you have put into His hands. Be assured that God has taken your guilt and shame and dropped it into the depths of the sea. That God has taken your guilt and shame and disposed of it behind His back as if it was so much trash, which it is. Never to look at it again. God has taken your guilt and shame and has put an eternity between your sin and your redemption. Because it was covered in the blood of Christ. And if it costs God that much, trust me, he will hold to his promise. That he will do as he said. We need to let our souls sigh with relief. And move forward. With the business of kingdom living. God serving. Jesus worshiping. Soul saving. Because we stand before the world. Not by the labels they put on us. And keep on us. But through Christ. Identified as one. That Christ has removed. Our sin. And our shame. The invitation is yours this morning. Perhaps we haven't done a good job of that. Maybe we've never done that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not committed your life to Jesus Christ by putting your sins in God's hands, by confessing you believe that Jesus is God's Son, by letting God wash away your sins in baptism. We're here to help. Maybe you're here this morning and that has been your story that you know the time when you did all of that, but uh, you live with the shame. Maybe we need to pray together that God help us as we repent of our sin, put our sin in His hands and let Him remove and plunge them away from us, never to be remembered again. Maybe you're here and you just need ministry to your life and we could help in some way. We can do that. We can help you in any way. Would you come to the front and make your need known? Together we stand. And as we stand.